thank you, Bailey and William, for leading us in worship. And hello again. We meet again. This time, we're going to look at the world lies and Christ is the truth. Okay. So that's the title, or Jesus is the truth. However you've been titling it. I think we've been saying Jesus, but Jesus Christ, right? Jesus is his name. Uh, Christ is not his last name. It was his title. It means the Messiah, the anointed one. It was the long-awaited, in the Old Testament, the Christ is the, is, is the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who's going to come and establish the kingdom forever. And so his, his title was Christ. Anyway, so that's why that's there. I'm going to pray for us, and then, and then we'll jump in. We're going to do something a little bit different than what we've done uh, thus far. But let's pray. Father, again, as was just prayed, we want to encounter your greatness your majesty, your goodness, all of those things. We've sung it, and we ask that as we open your word, we would, we would see it, taste it, feel it, that it would enter into our minds and our hearts and our bones by a work of your spirit. I don't have what it takes to do that. Um, I feel feeble to do those things, but, but I trust uh, that your spirit will be at work in our midst, and not just during this time, but as we continue on this evening in small groups and, and beyond. We pray again for your help uh, to give us the life that you promise. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so you see the title here, but I want to do a quick review because we've got this drawing that I keep, we keep referring to here. Um, you know, we talked the first time we were together, we talked about um, being sojourners, uh, aliens in the world. And the reason that's the case is because while we've been kind of brought back home in a sense, we've been connected to, the, to, to God again, um, now we live in this world of darkness. And so like these, these little lights of people in the light, it's the church, right? These are churches, but we still exist in the darkness. Do you guys know what an embassy is in another country? Like we, the United States of America, if you went to another country and ran into trouble, like with the government there, you would find, you might try to find refuge or sanctuary in the U.S. embassy in that country. It's like a little satellite of the United States. I'll give you an example. We had a child born in the U.K. So American citizen, because she was born to Americans, but she was born in another country. Cora, right here. She's right here. Uh, and so shortly after her birth, we had to take a, a trip down to the U.S. Embassy in London to get a birth certificate. Uh, and so, like, that's, that's how an embassy functions. It's like a site of a nation, okay? The kingdom of God is in heaven, perfected. We say this in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So we, we're praying, and, and what God says is, if you want to know what the kingdom is like, go to the church, Christ's church. They're little colonies of heaven. It's embassies of heaven. Okay, so, but we're still sojourners. Now, so the world has a way about it, and like we, you know, Nathan said, um, the first talk, what does the world produce? Do you remember what, what we said way back at the first time? This is on uh, Tuesday morning. The world makes us, oh my gosh, 
Do you remember? Anxious. And what is Christ? What is the kingdom of Christ? What does life in Christ give us? Grace. I think I, I, we might even say, and this is what Nathan was saying, peace, relief from our anxiety. Okay, and then uh, last night, how do, how do you get along in the world? Through works. And, and how do you get along in the kingdom of Christ, in the kingdom of God? Grace. And then this morning, what happens in the kingdom of darkness in the, in the world? What tends to be the pattern for us? Isolation. Being alone. And then what does the kingdom of Christ provide? Community. Communion with God, as Nathan said, and then community with, with one another, the church. Community. It's horrible, but hopefully you can get the gist. Community. And so now we're going to talk, the world lies, lies, but Christ is, gives us truth. And we're going to look at that, and I said we're going to do it a little bit differently, because we're just going to settle in. Okay, we're going to settle into a single passage of Scripture. When I've been talking, we've been kind of going across like the whole of Scripture. And that's great. I love doing that, but we're not going to do that right now. We're just going to settle into John chapter 9. I'm not even going to read it. We're going to kind of do it more of a Bible study fashion, so we're not going to read it before. We'll, we'll kind of work our way through it as we go along uh, this morning. So turn, if you have Bibles, turn to John chapter 9. Um, I guess this is about as much light as I can get. There's a spotlight. I don't know who's sitting over there. Is that Tyson over there in the corner right there by the light switch? No, that's Hudson. Um, try, try the spotlight. No, there's another one. I, there it is. Does that mess up? Because now I can see what I'm reading. <laughs> okay, that's good. We're going to leave that on. Okay, so John chapter 8. Jesus is talking about being the truth. You see that in the headings. The, tr- the famous line, the truth will set you free. And then he, he's explaining that. Look at verse 31 of chapter 8. Jesus was saying to those Jews that believed them, if you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of, of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Well, and some of the Pharisees and religious leaders that are there present, they don't like what Jesus is saying, and so they begin to challenge him. And guess what happens? Verse 59. Do you know what they do at the end of it? Jesus is claiming to be truth, and he's claiming, he, he's claiming to speak truth, but he's also claiming to be Truth itself, like he is truth. So they're standing right before truth. And the religious leaders and the Pharisees, look at, look at verse 59, chapter 8 of John. They pick up stones to throw at him, but Jesus eludes their, their efforts. He gets away. And then, right after that, you know, if an angry mob picks up stones to try to kill you, that's going to that's gonna kind of heighten my, uh, my anxiety <laughs> to go back to Nathan's talk. I'm going to be a little worried. I'm going to be a little uh, on edge after that. The drilling's going to be pumping. And I don't know that I'm going to like turn from that moment, the angry mob about to kill me. And like if, if I see somebody in need as I make my way away from them, am I going to be like, oh, I need to go help that person. 
I would be thinking, like, i got to get out of here. But what happens? Uh, chapter 9, verse 1. He passed by, and he sees a man blind from birth. And his disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was neither this man it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Okay. So I was like, is, is this because of his sin? Is it because of his parents' sin? Why is this man born blind? They believed that it was any sort of disability, lameness, blindness was often a result, they believed, of sin. And one of the things Jesus says is not, not exactly, but Jesus says the reason He's blind is so that the works of God might be displayed in this man. And here's the thing. Again, you want to know where the truth goes, where Christ, the truth goes to brokenness because it displays his power. You know who the best doctors are? The most kind of coveted doctors, the most well-known doctors, the ones who work on the most difficult Diseases and the cancers and the brain tumors and the, you know, back sur- heart surgeons. Like the more difficult the medical problem, the more kind of we elevate and admire the doctor, right? Or, or maybe like the best counselors are the ones that have a record of really dealing with the most broken situations. And here's the thing. Jesus does his best work. Jesus shines. Jesus is drawn to. And and because we're talking about Jesus' grace, his grace is drawn to areas of brokenness, areas of need. And so it is here. Look at verses 6 and 7. So uh, having said these things, this is what he does. He's about to heal the man. He spits on the ground. He makes mud with the saliva. And then he anoints the man's eyes with mud. And he said to them, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. So Jesus is spitting in the ground. He's making this mud out of the dirt. He's putting it on his eyes. He said, go wash. Why would he do that? I mean, he's healed people remotely. He, he doesn't. It's, what's he doing? I believe he's trying to teach us something in what he's doing in this act. And John gives us a clue who's writing this gospel. He gives us a clue, and it's the word that he uses. It's a Greek word that he uses called pelos. Pelos is a word that shows up quite a bit in the Old Testament. The Greek version of the Old Testament shows up in Greek literature. And routinely, almost quite often, pelos refers to the clay, the mud that God uses to form creation, to form man. In the Old Testament, in Greek literature, it's the material that the gods work with to make creation. And you see what John is trying to communicate to us. Jesus, he's got recreative power. Like, you got broken eyeballs? No problem. He'll just remake new ones. He's going to remake new, new eyes. And this promise is that also, of course, by extension, by his spirit, he's remaking us. Like, really, real transformation is coming. And so John picks this word out because this is a little uh, a, for, uh, a foretaste of what God is doing throughout all of creation. Remember what he says in Revelation? 
I make all things new. That's what he's doing. That's what the Greek word palos is suggesting. And here's the thing. From this point forward, this blind man comes back seeing, and he is going to inch closer and closer and closer to the truth. And so we're going to watch that. So this blind man receives sight, and they, the, the crowds are amazed. They know, they know him because they know he couldn't do anything. I mean, think about a blind man. He's, he's helpless. He's totally dependent on everybody, the community that's around him. And they realize now he sees. So they take him to the Pharisees. And verse 13, look, look at verse 13 of John chapter 9. They bring him to the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was the Sabbath when Jesus did it, not supposed to spit in the ground and heal and do these things. So the Pharisees again asked the blind man how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, I washed, and now I see. And then some of the Pharisees said, verse 16, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Right? But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? If he's a sinner, not from God, how can he give sight to the blind? That's a, that's a miracle. People can't do that. And then the blind man says, he makes a claim. He's a prophet. That's a good thing to say about Jesus. He's a prophet. But is that complete? No, because, I mean, we've got other prophets in the Bible, right? I mean, Nehemiah, Isaiah. Daniel, J, uh, Daniel, I'm like drawing a blank, Ezekiel, right? There's all kinds of prophets. He's not just another prophet, but he is a prophet. He's the, the capital P prophet. So he's getting closer. The blind man's getting closer to the truth, but he's not quite there. It's kind of like Han Solo in Return of the Jedi. He comes out of this freeze, I guess, and his, he's blind and he can't see, like he's starting to kind of regain his sight. And slowly over time, he begins to see the world as it is. That's what's, That's what's going on with this blind man. But let's keep reading. Verse 18. The Jews didn't believe the blind man had been born. Because if he had been blind because of some sort of, he just got old. And then they're, they're, they believed that that was less of a miracle than somebody who had been born blind. That was like the ultimate healing, the ultimate transformation. And so they want to reach out to his parents who had received sight. And they asked the parents, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, we know that this is our son and he was born blind. But how he sees, we don't know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. And they, so they, they, they say, ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. And his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So the parents punt on the question of Christ, right? Like, we don't, we don't want to deal with that question uh, go, go back. He's of age. He's a teen. He's a, he's at least a teenager is what that means. He can speak for himself. Go ask him, right? They're, they don't want to say Jesus is not the Messiah, but they also are fearful of the consequences of confessing Christ within the, within the, the world around them because there'd be penalty. They'd be, they'd be kicked out of the synagogue. That's their fear. And so it's, it's almost, there's, there's sort of a response to Jesus. that's kind of like, kind of tepid, you know, he, it's all right. I kind of, it's interesting, this whole Jesus thing. 
but doesn't quite take the step to confess him for fear of what the world around might think. That's the blind man's parents. So let's go back. Verse 24. So they called the blind man in again, a second time. And they said to him, give glory to God. They're not saying, hey, brother, give glory to God. Amen, brother. God did a great work in your life. This is more of them saying, this is like a courtroom setting. It's like, take a vow. The blind man is sort of like, there's witnesses. The, The Pharisees are like the power people of the day. And they have authority. And they're saying, take an oath and tell us the truth. Because we want to get to the bottom of this. So that's what they say. And then they say, we know this man is a sinner. Referring to Jesus. And the blind man responds, verse 25. I don't know if he's a sinner. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see, right? Blind man keeps him on point. Bottom line, you, you, can, you can ask about the Sabbath. You can ask about whether I was bl- born blind, came, became blind, whatever. Here's the bottom line. I was blind. Nobody disputes that. And now I see you. I see now. There's, there's, there's no... There's no confusion to the matter. Stick to the heart of the matter, the blind man says. And, but the Pharisees keep going. Verse 26. Well, well what did he do exactly? How, how did he open your eyes? And like what they, he says, verse 27, the blind man's like, I told you already. Like, I've, I've explained all this, and you're not listening. You, do you want me to tell you again? And then, get this, starting to get a little sass. The blind man, look at what he says. Do you want to be his disciple too? Is that, is that why you're so interested in this Jesus? And here's the thing. This is what happens in this moment. The blind man cuts straight through the charade. Because here's the deal. The Pharisees, they, they're, they're, they're biased. They are opposed to the truth. They are opposed to the light. They are opposed to Jesus. Fundamentally. And so they're kind of tiptoeing around all the issues. Now tell us again what happened. Was it mud? What, now, what was the consistency of the mud? Was it on the set? Were you born blind? Well, let's go talk to the parents. It's almost like they're just sort of going around the issue, thinking that if they can sort of distract from the heart of the matter, maybe they can get a workaround and avoid the reality that this is the truth, that stands before them. Jesus Christ is the truth that changed this blind man's life. And then, look at this. Now, let me, let me say this too. I want, I want to explain like what's going on. Because this is, the world lies, Christ is the truth. That's our topic. Throughout the scriptures, the, the fact that the world is kind of entrapped in a bunch of lies is pictured like this. We're in darkness. That's what we talk about, the kingdom of darkness. Do you remember what the Psalms say when it says um, that the word of God is a lamp, a light to my feet? Right? The word of God, it, apart from God reveal, revelation, apart from the scriptures, we're in the darkness. Have you guys, maybe you got up in the middle of the night here in your cabin and it's totally dark. What happens when you walk in darkness? You stub your toe, you bang your head. You hit your elbows, you're, I mean, you're stumbling, you're trying to find the bathroom. Hopefully you have a nightlight, and that helps. 
But that's the point. Apart from the truth, we're in darkness. And so we're kind of groping and stumbling and falling and banging our, our souls against life, right? That's what's happening. And what John is telling us, John's thesis, the Gospel of John, what he's saying is the light shined in the darkness, that Jesus is the light of the world. And what that means, another way to say it is, Jesus is the truth. He is the one who illuminates all of life. So again, the blind man, they're trying to tiptoe around all these, asking all these weird questions that avoid the heart of the matter. And the blind man cuts through the charade by saying, do you want to be his disciple? And they just revile him. It says, verse 28. And then, get this, verse 30 and following. Look at what the blind man does. Now remember, I said the Pharisees are like, you know, it'd be like going to like, I don't know, the, like Harvard University, all these great colleges and encountering kind of like the, 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 the elites, the, the power brokers of the age, the smart people, the educated people. And here is this blind man, a have-not, right? A guy with nothing, um, it could, it was not educated, just a beggar, no, no community, no people, no nothing. And look at what he does, verses 30 and following. He takes these guys to school. He takes them to school. He starts giving them an education in the, thing that's their, the things that they're supposed to know. Look at verse 30. The blind man answered, "Why? Uh, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing, the blind man says. So he's given him like a theology lesson. And see, here, this, is, this is the point. And this actually highlights the point that we were making yesterday. How do you get along in the kingdom of darkness? Through like lots of training and specialization and having, you know, a sharp mind, sharp wit. All of these Pharisees, they, they were the, the powerful people of the day. And here in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of Christ, Jesus shines his light in healing this blind man. And all of a sudden, think about what it is like to be a blind man. You're walking in darkness all the time. All of a sudden, the whole world lights up and he can see. And the light of Christ is actually informing his understanding of, of, of the world so much so that he's taking those Pharisees to school. But remember how it comes to him? Again, grace, right? The blind man wasn't even looking for Jesus. He, he couldn't look for Jesus. I mean, by definition, he can't look for Jesus. He's totally totally helpless. He's just standing there, just begging. And Jesus sees him, and Jesus moves toward him. His grace moves toward him. And Jesus heals him. Not because of anything he did, but because Jesus' grace it's drawn towards need, towards brokenness, and he comes to him. And now, all of a sudden, this blind man is taking these Pharisees to school. Let's keep, let's keep moving through here. 
And here's the thing. This is significant. The blind man, as the story progresses, he's getting more on target when it comes to what he's calling Jesus. At first, he calls him Jesus. At first, he just calls him Jesus, his name, which everyone would have called him Jesus. That's his name. And then he calls him a prophet, which that's like saying, okay, you're, you're a prophet. That's, he's getting closer. And then by the end of the passage, so verse 11, he calls him Jesus. Verse 17, he calls him a prophet. By the very end of the passage, verse 38, he calls him the son of man. This is, now, this is Jesus' favorite title to use, the son of man. It's, it goes back to Daniel. This is, this is the king, the, the, the Jewish anointed one who's going to save the world. It's putting Jesus in the most elevated of terms. And here's the thing. The more clearly that this man sees Jesus, the more clearly he sees the world in truth. That's what's happening here. You know, C.S. Lewis said that he said this, I believe in the in Christianity like I believe in the sun. Not only do I see the sun, but by it, I see everything. Right? If the sun were to go away, we would all be groping around in darkness. And we have stars and moon at night. That even helps. And we have, of course, our little flashlight phones and whatever that were used to get up the mountain last night. We have light, but imagine that going away. What John says is, spiritually speaking, the whole world is in darkness. There is no, there is no light. And all of a sudden, Jesus the light comes into the world. And not only are we, are we called to believe in him, but he is, the one, he is truth, and he illuminates, he, he, just like the sun, he lights up the whole world for us. He makes sense of everything. He, he, he's, because he's the heartbeat, of, he's like the center of the universe, you can't see the world right apart from him. Just like you can't see the world apart from the sun. That's how fundamental Jesus is to your life. Now, one of the challenges that I think we have in our own minds, and it's just kind of a challenge of the day, is, you know, does it have to be through just Jesus? Why just Jesus? Because, I mean, Jesus is making these soaring claims. He says, I am life, I am truth, I am light. Come to me, and you can find all of these things. Why does it have to be through Jesus is one of the challenges that we, that we have. And, you know, one way I think about it is we all live, and we're, not, we're feeling it, actually, while we're here. We all live on oxygen. We all need oxygen, don't we? We have, we have to have oxygen to live. Now, when we get up in the mountains, we get a little less oxygen. It makes it a little harder to, to move around. But we're, still, we're still on planet Earth, still living life, gets taken in the oxygen. What if someone said, I don't like that. Why does it have to be oxygen? And what if somebody says, I'm so fed up with this whole thing that we have to live by oxygen that I'm just going to, you know, hold my breath. It's like, well, okay, good, go for it. See how that works, right? It's, it, it's just a, a fundamental truth of the world that oxygen is how humans breathe. 
And in the same way, John is saying, look, it's, it's a fundamental truth of the world that Jesus is the, the, the one who upholds the whole universe. And he's life. And you have to, if you really want life, you find it in him. That's it. It's only in Christ. And it's not because of any weakness in him. It's because of the magnitude and greatness of him. There's nothing that it compares to him. Now, one other comment. I want you to notice this. Um, The Pharisees... As the blind man moves moves more and more toward Christ and gets closer to calling Christ who he is, the Son of Man, the blind man gets more sharper. He gets a better grasp of the situation. And what happens to those in darkness, the religious leaders and Pharisees in this instance? They retreat further. Remember like the flashlight in the corner of the room where the cockroaches are and little bugs? When the light shines, they retreat further and further into the darkness. That's what's happening here. The Pharisees and the religious leaders just keep moving further and further and further away from Jesus and into the darkness and further and further, as a result, into lies. And and as the story unfolds, we don't have time to go into it all, but they're going to be, by the end of it in their trial, they're just going to be talking out of both sides of their mouth. They're not going to be making any sense. They're just going to be contradicting themselves, stumbling over their words because they're just swimming in a sea of lies. Because they moved away from the truth, away from Christ. Now, let me say this too. This is another feature of this. You would think that this would bring us into a position of humility. Like the more you stumble over yourself in the darkness, the more you kind of become a little bit humble about about things. But that's not what happens. Look at verse 34. And by the way, and this, this brings you more into a posture of humility and openness, actually. Openness to questions of truth. Because you realize kind of your, 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 your limits. So look at in verse 34 of chapter 9. The Pharisees said, say, they tell the blind man, you were born in sin, and that is why you were born blind. And you would teach us? Now, what did Jesus' disciples say at the very beginning of the passage? They're open on the matter, aren't they? They're, they're asking the question, Jesus, Rabbi, was it this man or his parents that sinned? But the Pharisees are making a strict, strong declaration. This is how it is. Right? And so that, that is, that's what the world of darkness does. And that is what the world that we live in will do. It, it, it will sort of manufacture lies and kind of spew them out, but spew them out with lots of confidence. We're right on this. Trust us. And I wanna, what I want to do now, I, I was reflecting on some of the lies that were told. The world that's in darkness kind of puts forth lies out there. And I want to read some of these lies. And what I'm, I'm going I'm to give you a prompt as you guys go into your small groups and small group leaders, you can um, you can you can do that. You can follow this if you like, or if you know if things go another direction, that's fine too. But hopefully, this will help maybe give a little direction to your small group time. There's a book by uh, Nancy Demoss called "Lies Women Believe." 
<laughs> and I actually looked at it uh, to, because, because even though it's directed towards women, there, it's actually, she, I think she missed a market, honestly, because I'm like, you could be writing this to men as well, and it actually worked pretty well. It's a pretty good book, apart from the fact that it's written directly to women. But some of the things she says, I'm going to give some of the lies she says, and then I'm going to give you some of my own. Okay, so one lie is, there is no God. And, and if God is there, he has no bearing on my life. Like, maybe you can keep, you can kind of have your God thing, but it certainly shouldn't impact your public life, right? There is no God. And of course, we know that's not true. Another lie, God doesn't love me. God doesn't love me. We believe that. That is one of the lies that, that Satan really wants us to believe, right? The accuser. Here, here's another one. God is not enough that you need God plus school success, or God plus that friend group, or God plus straight A's, or God plus making the team, that God is not enough, and God is enough. Here's another lie. God is restrictive. He's got these rules and this law, and it's just to make me miserable. That's what it's for, to pin me in. But that's not the case. God Another C.S. Lewis example, he says you could think of the human as like a, the, God's law is like an instruction manual for how we're to live our, our best life, how we're to, to, we were created, how we were made to live. So God's law is not restrictive. Here's another lie. This is a big one that we believe. My life is my own and I can do what I want with it. Dang it. My life is my own. But that's not what the scriptures say. You know, a year or so ago, we went through the Heidelberg Catechism. And the first question is, what is your only comfort? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul to Christ. Not only is that not true, that your life is your own, but it, your only comfort, uh, we believe, is that you're not your own, that you belong to Christ. Right? Just as Nathan said, if it's just you, there, that, there's pressure there. Here's another lie. I've got 10 of them, so that's how many. I think we're on six. You don't have to number them, but. I shouldn't have to live with unfulfilled longings. There's a lie for you. That if I have a desire, it needs to be met. If I have a longing, it needs to be met. And the, the reason that's a lie is because what the scriptures say is there are many longings and desires that may not be met this side of heaven. Paul had this thorn in the flesh, this thing that just bothered him, irritated him. And he, and he asked the Lord to take it away, and the Lord never did. He said, my grace is sufficient. So this side of heaven, you may have unfulfilled longings. You may have struggles that, that, that just don't seem to go away. Number, number uh, seven, I can sin and get away with it. There's a lie. Right, that sin doesn't have consequences, that, that it's not going to come back and in some way create problems in my life or difficulty. Here's another, this is a big one. My sin won't hurt others. If it's just a sin that maybe just like I kind of know about, it's not going to hurt others. That's not true. Sin is very messy. It's, it's leaky. So you sin in private and it's, it's going to come around and it's going to have an effect. It's, it's, it, it's a guarantee. Here's another one related to the loved one. God can't forgive me. My sin is too great. What did we just sing a moment ago? His mercy is more, right? 
Though my sins were many, his mercy is more. That's the truth. But sometimes we think, man, God won't forgive me for that. Sure, he forgives others, but he's not going to forgive me for that thing that I did or that, those thoughts that I have or whatever it is. And it's not true. His mercy is more. And here's the last one. I don't have time to do all that I'm supposed to do. I don't have time to do everything that I'm supposed to do. If I just had more time. And the truth is, you have all the time you need to do exactly what God wants you to do. See, if you're trying to control your life, then you do start to think, man, I need to crush more work or get more homework done or do more study or do more working out or whatever it is. I don't have enough time in the day. No, God gave you, God gave you the time that you have. And his will, he's not going to ask you to do more than you can physically do in that time. You have limits. And that's okay. So, so here, here's what I want you to do, uh, small group leaders and small groups. I, I, I would like for you to consider what lies do you believe? What lies do you believe, student? And how does Christ speak to those lies? What are the lies that you believe, and how does Christ speak to those lies? How does Christ speak truth? Because here's the thing. If we're not speaking the truth of Christ to our own hearts, we'll begin to believe the lies. And at that point, we're kind of stumbling around in the darkness again. Of course, we repent and turn back to Christ and receive his mercy. So does that, does that sound clear from the leaders of the small groups? Okay, very good. What lies do you believe and how does Christ speak to those lies? I'm going to pray and then our worship leaders will, I believe, sing another song and then you'll be dismissed to your small groups. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for not leaving us in darkness, for not leaving us in a sea of lies. And we thank you for coming and gently and patiently showing us the truth. We thank you for communicating it to us in your scriptures and the word. And we pray that your spirit would communicate it to us during this time of, of discussion. And, and really, as we continue on this week, we ask for your grace to uh, illuminate these things to us and really help us to, um, to believe to believe more rightly, more true, and, and also to believe in you, the truth. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.